Well, thanks, Mike, and the team for leading us into that, uh, that space, reminding us of those profound truths. Uh, it's been another one of those bewildering weeks, uh, if you're awake and alive, and I think you are. Uh, it, just lots of stuff going on in our world. Uh, some of it ripples out to our, time, our place here in Alberta, and we're just trying to make sense of it all, and, and obviously uh, the pandemic, as that continues to unfold and impact uh, Albertans and Calgarians and, and your lives and mine, um, I actually want to take you back to a different news story. Uh, one that took place this summer that you probably missed. It's not on your radar. But uh, here's a picture of uh, Lionel Messi. Uh, those of you who might know who this is, uh, you know, this would be like the Wayne Gretzky of soccer, okay? He is like the guy. Um, and he's played his entire club career, at least uh, in, in, the, in his like, main career, uh, with one club, Barcelona. And, and I don't need to get into the politics, you don't care about this stuff very much. But this summer he wanted to leave his club and he sent a, what's called a bureau fax and none of us had a clue what that was. We had to go to Google and figure out what, what did he actually send. And Anyway, we figured out what it... He sent a fax to the organization saying he wants to leave. And there was this big kerfuffle, right? This is like Gretzky leaving the Oilers. Like think about... Like some of you can remember where you were standing when you heard that news. I'm guessing you can. Right, Corey? Yeah, you can. You've told me that. So, um, so now this is like Messi. He wants to leave Barcelona, the club he's grown up in and played for all his life. And John Sajarzi and I had many conversations about this because he actually cares about this. But anyway, uh, what came out is that uh, Lionel Messi has a $900,000 release clause in his contract, uh, which means that if he wanted to break his contract, either he or the club that he's going to had to pay $900,000. That's almost a billion dollar release clause. Do you understand that? And, and then you still need to, like the way it works in soccer, you still need to buy the player, and then you still need to pay his wages. So that's just the release clause in this contract. It was a bit laughable, actually. I, I felt like I maybe need to hold out for a better contract here at Varsity because <laughs> I think my release clause is like 50 bucks or something. and I need to push for a bigger release clause. But anyway, it was all sort of, why am I telling you this? Because I know you don't really care about this. I'm telling you this because um, I want to highlight how we live in a world of contracts. And Messi wanted to leave. He wanted to play soccer somewhere else. He wasn't happy in Barcelona anymore. And, and he couldn't, actually. He's still playing there. They wouldn't let him leave. He didn't cough up the $900,000. Um, anyway, we live in this world of contracts, and it shapes our thinking about things. And, and so contracts are sort of like, well, I do this, and then I get this. I show up to work and do a reasonably good job. I get paid, right? That's how a contract works. Or um, maybe if you're a student, you study hard and you get a B. Or maybe you study a little harder and get an A. Right? It's like, I mean, we don't call it contract, but it's sort of, you do this, therefore this. And it's this kind of thinking that uh, plays out in our world. And in many, many, many places in our world, that's just fine, actually. I'm not arguing against contracts. I'm not saying they're bad. They're very appropriate in some instances, many instances, actually. Where we run into problems with contracts and contractual thinking is when we carry that thinking over into how God operates with humanity. Um, and we, we think that we're in a contract with God. 
And again, this language probably feels a bit forced. You probably don't think of it like this. But I am suspicious that many of us actually do think like this. That we have this sort of low-lying sense that we're not actually good enough. That God's a little bit disappointed with us. We haven't kind of held up our end of the bargain. And maybe he'll ship us out from the team. Um, he's disappointed. He's let down. Um, I, I say this I, with her permission. I mean, this is part of Sherilyn's story. She struggles here profoundly. And I don't say this to reveal her deep struggles. I say this to reveal our deep struggles because she's not alone, I think. And we have this idea that, that maybe we're actually, we haven't actually, you know, made the grade. Um, and that, I think, isn't good news. Uh, well, it isn't good news. And I also don't think that's what the Bible invites us into. That's not the story of God. That's not what we've just sung about. So I would like to introduce, we're going to move from, we've, uh, we, well, we corporately have, have talked about Abraham and his family and the blessing they were to be to all nations as we follow the story of Israel. They become a nation. God calls them out, rescues them from Egypt. And now he's going to establish a covenant with his people. And I want to just talk a little bit about covenant and the important differences this creates versus contract. And I think you'll, I hope by the end you'll see why this actually does matter, even though you don't care about Lionel Messi's contract. Okay, so, but to introduce this, I'm going to ask Levi Lalonde, he's done it on video, he's going to read for us our scripture this morning. And so this is taken from Exodus chapter 19. So last week you heard the story of God's rescue. They've come out of Egypt, the Israelite people. Very familiar story. Now they're in the desert. They get brought to a mountain. And God uh, is going to reveal himself and his ways to his people and set up this covenant. So Exodus 19 verses 1 to 8 sets this up for us. So Levi. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of, the, of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my government to our of all out of all nations, you will be my treasure possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to say to the Israel. Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, 
we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. On the Thank you. Sorry, Elise, I didn't know you were in that video. So it was Elise and Levi doing that scripture reading. Thank you for that. What we get here, if you've been following along with the scripture reading plan, or if you've ever read Exodus, the narrative stops here. So it's been a story so far. And they've come out of Egypt, and they've entered the desert, and then chapter 19 and onwards, the narrative, the story kind of pauses for the rest of the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and a good chunk of Numbers. And you're left with uh, all these laws and commandments and regulations, and it's where most people, when they try and read the Bible through in a year, this is where they kind of fade out. Because uh, you're like, what am I supposed to do with these stories, these, these laws, not stories, but these laws, and they're confusing, and, and, and there's, you know, there's regulations on how, how to worship God and how to do these sacrifices, and then there's all kinds of laws about, you know, if this person does that. Like, for instance, there's a law that says if your child disobeys you, take him out of the city and stone him. So I told Daniel if I ever say, hey, let's go for a drive to Cochrane, he should be concerned, right? So um, what do you do with these laws? How do you read these laws, right? And, and it's complicated, and here's what I want to say to you on this point, is I'm not going to directly answer that question because it's very nuanced, and it requires more than I can give you in 20 minutes. So there's some resources on Sermons Plus, particularly chapter 9, I think it is. We photocopied just the chapter on how to read Old Testament law by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart uh, from their book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. So that's there for your, for your own reading, and they will give some, some, some hints on how to read this kind of literature because uh, it is complicated. There's also a couple Bible project videos we've given direct links to that help you think that through what I'm more concerned about is, like, let's just talk about the covenant. What is a covenant? Why is God setting up his relationship with his people this way? And so there's lots of little things I can't say. Anyway, covenant. Here's the definition we're going to work with. A covenant is an agreement made by God with his people to secure a lasting relationship and through them to bless all nations. And there's various parts to this definition. Again, 20 minutes doesn't really give me enough time to unpack this. But let me just do some kind of high-end stuff so you catch what is going on in God creating a covenant, okay? And notice that it's God who initiates this covenant, right? It's, you've seen what I have done in Egypt. You yourselves... Uh, sorry, you've seen that. You know how I've carried you on eagle's wings and I've brought you to myself, right? This is all God's doing. And now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenants, covenant that God is establishing with his people. And what the covenant then does is set out a bunch of laws or rules. And we explored this back in January. It's hard to remember January because so much has happened since then and January sort of feels like it could have been like 10 years ago. But... Back in January, we actually had a sermon series here called Primary Relationships, which is a sermon series on the Ten Commandments. And my argument in that series was that the commandments aren't, you can look at them as rules, but they're not really rules as such, what they are, but they're, they're to give shape to relationship. The first three laws deal with our relationship with God. The last six laws deal with our relationship with our neighbor 
And the, the fourth commandment on keeping the Sabbath is sort of the hinge command. And it's about how do we live well with God and with others. And that's the nature of the covenant. And for sure they're to obey these laws and, and, and do these stipulations and kind of do the things that God asks. And if they do that, he, he says, you'll be my treasured possession. But think of it more like a marriage. Okay, this is the one place in society where covenant language occasionally still shows up as opposed to contract language. Okay, and in a marriage, when I got married to Sherilyn some just over 24 years ago now, we made promises. We spoke things together to each other in the, in the presence of friends and witnesses to say this is how we're going to do our life together. Now, you could argue, yeah, they're kind of rules, Right? Like, you know, maybe I shouldn't, well, I shouldn't, (laughs) I should not date other people anymore, right? Like, don't do that. You know, there's a couple things like don't do those things, and then there's a whole bunch of things like pay attention to these things. And you could distill it and say, oh, it's just a bunch of laws. Or you could say, well, actually, it's just the way to, to establish and then protect that relationship. And if I lean into those things, if I don't do these things and instead focus on these things, our relationship will be more blessed. As opposed to if I disobey these, these guidelines and just kind of do whatever I want, irregardless of the fact that I have entered into covenant, then our covenant will break or it'll be damaged. Right? And that's the language you get in the covenant about keep these commands, you will be blessed. If you break these commands, you'll be cursed. Right? You get that language. If you've been following along the reading plan, you've read a good chunk of Deuteronomy by now, and that language comes up, but particularly at the end of Deuteronomy where God renews His covenant and says, if you keep these commands, you will be blessed, you will have life, life will be better, it'll be good. If you break these commands, you will be cursed, life will fall apart. Okay, but the point of the covenant and all these laws, all of them, is to give shape to a relationship. And God wants it to be a lasting relationship. It's not just laws. It's relational language. Don't miss that. The second thing I would want to highlight in the covenant that people, uh, that God is making with His people is it isn't just for relationships. They can sit in their easy chair on their couch and surf the internet. It's, they're called in relationship, into relationship with God so that they in turn can be a blessing to the nations. That's where this language picks up here Uh, In Exodus 19, you will be my treasured possession, and although the whole world, the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. Okay, again, this isn't language we typically use, uh, even in evangelical churches, I'm not referred to as a priest, but what this is talking about is we're all called to be priests. We're all called to be people of blessing in the world in which we live. That's the charge given to the nation of Israel. And as they keep the covenant, and as they allow this relationship with God and each other to be shaped uh, by God and by His laws, the way that it's established and protected, they will in turn bless other nations. This becomes clear. The Bible Project video highlights this. That if you, I, You're not going to do this. It's fine. But if you were to compare these commands with... Um, the, the laws of the other nations at that time, ancient, ancient Near East. These laws are completely different. 
and they offer a very different ethic for caring for people. It's amazing to me how often commands in Exodus and Deuteronomy in particular bring into focus orphans and widows and foreigners, refugees, if you will. Just listen to one command. It's just one. I'm picking one out of hundreds, really. Uh, chapter Deuteronomy. Oh, I'm not in Deuteronomy. That's the problem. Deuteronomy chapter 10. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 10. He, did, he, God, defends the cause of the fatherless, right? The orphan and the widow, and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you also are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourselves were once foreigners in Egypt. And so he's calling them back to their history and saying, remember where you've come from and you were treated very, very badly. And the nation that God's creating, the covenant he's creating, is is to sort of bring into focus, don't do that in your relationships with others. The vulnerable in your society, the marginal, the people other people overlook. You're not to be like that. You're to treat them differently. And by you doing that, you will actually begin to bless not only, you will not only be blessed, but you will bless others, right? You see how that begins to work? So this is the two-part focus I want to sort of draw your attention to about the covenant, that it's for relationship. And that's what all these laws are about, is about relationship. And then it's about mission. You're drawn into God's mission to redeem the world, right? Remember the big story we've talked about, creation? It's kind of over there in these pictures that you might be able to see. God created a good, good world, and that's the story of creation, and that good, good world gets distorted, badly distorted by sin and evil and darkness and brokenness, and God is wanting to rescue or restore His creation, And he uses Israel, or he called Israel to be part of that story, part of that restoration. And later on, Jesus will pick up that story in a far greater way. Okay? The the invitation here is for Israel to join in that mission of restoration. But here's what I want to actually just pause on for a moment, and then we'll be done. Uh, Notice again that what God desires is a lasting relationship with his people. And this is where covenants differ from contracts significantly, right? Contracts, like if I don't hold up the end of the bargain, the contract's broken and we move on. So if I don't show up for work, if I don't do the things I've been asked to do by the advisory council at a given point, they're going to say, well, you're not hired here anymore. And that's understood. It's written into my contract and we part ways. Uh, So understand, although there are rules that the people are called to obey, What we'll find as the story unfolds is even when they fail to obey, and the Israelites do, God remains faithful to his covenant. God does not walk away. This is really significant. I mean, even in Exodus, while the, the, the story pauses and God gives the Ten Commandments and some other laws, even before Moses comes down from the mountain. The Israelites have already turned away and they build a golden calf and they start worshiping a different God. And this already, this sets up sort of the pattern you're going to see with Israel and the prophets that are going to come into that story. The Israelites will, they're called to follow God and to be true to the covenant and they, they don't, 
they disobey, and the language is often language of adultery, actually, and, and idolatry. Both of those come into play. And God sends prophets to call them back. And the prophets again and again and again and again say, God is faithful. God has not walked away. God won't walk away. You have failed. But God is still there. God is still waiting for you. This is what's so profound in the, in the parable, why we know this parable, I think, so well. Because it touches something so deeply in us, the parable of the prodigal son, or prodigal sons, really. Both sons m- fundamentally misunderstood their relationship with God, with the Father. And yet the, the Father is waiting. He's faithful. He's still there. Okay, that's not saying that you can do anything you want. doesn't matter. There are things that God calls us to for blessing. But understand in the covenant, even if we fail our part, God is still there. So no matter how far I turn around or how far I wander away, the moment I turn around, God's right there. God is faithful to his covenant. And this is what gets uh, spoken about. If you were to read the Psalms uh, over and over again, uh, one of the key themes that begins to emerge in the Psalms is God's unfailing love and faithfulness. It is amazing how often that phrase gets repeated in the Psalms. And this week, again, if you're following our Bible reading plan, which is up on Sermons Plus, uh, you can link into that. You would have read Psalm 36. And I actually have paused there. I haven't actually moved on to Psalm 37 yet. Uh, and Mike read from it this morning, right? Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. And this is written to the Israelite people whose faithfulness is, is, um, is pretty piecemeal, actually. They don't always get it right. Sometimes they get it spectacularly wrong. And yet God is faithful, and it's critical that we understand this because it turns out that the Israelite story is my story. Right? I don't always follow through. I'm not always obedient to the things that God asks me to do. There are things to do. But the good news is that God is faithful to his covenant. God is faithful to his people. It is, listen to this, it is God's faithfulness that brings us into the covenant, right? I carried you with eagle's wings out of Egypt. It's God's faithfulness that brings us to the covenant. It's God's faithfulness that keeps us in the covenant. And it's God's faithfulness that will give us strength and courage to live in this moment on mission for God. It is God's faithfulness that stands at the heart of the covenant. Not mine, not yours, not ours. Okay, this is, I think, profound. And I need to have my thinking shifted here a little bit. As I said, there are things I think we're called to in the Christian life. Uh, It's not like you can do anything you want. I don't think that's consistent with the teachings of Jesus either. But God holds us. God is faithful. We sang about it. It's why we sang about it. It's why we read about it. It's why we preach about it. God is faithful. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to pray and I'm going to hand off. We're going to do communion because communion is Jesus, uh, the language Jesus uses. See, I create, you know, this cup is a blessing in My covenant. He uses covenantal language. He reinforces the covenant. 
And so I'll, we'll let communion sort of speak for itself there in a moment. I just want to highlight there's, um, this week there's a few practices or a practice and a few resources on Sermons Plus. They're all invitational, but listen, you're not going to Mexico anytime soon, right? Though that's not available and it's not really that fun to go outside right now. So what are you doing anyway, right? You, there's very limited options for what you can be doing. So why not link into Sermons Plus? And do something that will feed your soul. And there's some resources there that I just invite you. You don't need to look at them all. Um, but there are some, there's, I've already said there's a couple articles there. There's a couple videos there. Um, there's a video of one of my favorite guys that I listen to right now, John Mark Comer. He's got this little four-minute video where he talks about marriage covenant versus contract. And he compares that. That might be interesting for you to look at. Um, there's a podcast for those of you who are interested in podcasts um, that... You can put that on your phone and as you commute to work or, or whatever, you can listen to that podcast. Um, they're just resources for you to explore. They're, they are invitational. But they're all things that invite us to think more deeply about this relationship with God that we're in that actually turns out to not be contractual. It doesn't depend on me being good enough. Which is good news. Really good news. It depends on God being faithful. And God is faithful. Let me pray. God, I thank you that you invite us into a covenant relationship like you invited the Israelite people into a covenant relationship. And to be sure there are things that you want me to be attentive to in that relationship, to keep that relationship strong and healthy and vibrant. But what is so good, what is such good news, is that you are faithful even when I drop the ball. God, your unfailing love reaches the heavens. And your faithfulness stretches out to the skies. In other words, it is very big. And thank you that that is where we live today, in your faithfulness. Help us to hear this good news. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, I'm going to hand off to Murray, who's going to lead us in our time of communion.